0: Welcome to the Karis Christian Center Podcast. I'm going to conclude my series tonight on the divine imagination. So I'm really excited about, about this series. This, this is the fourth part. I'll kind of give a little summation because I know it's been a while since some of the earlier sessions. But uh, man, I'm, I'm really excited to, to share on this topic of the divine imagination. There's not a whole lot of teaching out there about the imagination. And, uh, but I think God has given me some great revelation concerning the imagination, that part, that creative part of our soul. So the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So it's actually up to us to to guard our heart, to keep our heart, to tend to our heart, to tend to our soul. Amen? We are a three-part being. We're a spirit. We're an eternal spirit. We possess a soul, and we live in a body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So God wants to affect every part of your being, your, your eternal spirit, your soul, and your body. So he says, may he sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. So I love that. You know, says, um, salvation is past, present, and future. The moment you believed on Jesus, your spirit was completely saved. You've actually received the same spirit of Christ in you. So that eternal part of you, your spirit um, is completely saved. So that that means all all of your sins, past, present, and future are are, are wiped away. Your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, that is is a, a present salvation. That's why the Bible says you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means once, once you believe on Jesus, you still need to renew your mind, your, your mind, your will, your emotions. You have, to, you have to be washing that in the Word of God. That doesn't mean you just you get saved and you, you just read your Bible once and that's it. Right? Some people think, well, I'm just going to cram all my Bible reading in for one year, just on one day, and that's it. I'm good for the whole year. It's kind of like eating. You can't do that. If you, if you try to just gorge every now and then and, and just fast for too long, you're going to run out of steam, right? That's why the Bible says, "You shall, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from his mouth. So we, we live continually by his word. Our soul needs to be renewed in the word of God, and our body will be saved. You know, we will be given, one day we'll be given an eternal, immortal body that can live forever in his presence. This body that we live in right now is a temporary suit. My parents taught us as kids that this is your earth suit. It's important you need to take care of it. You need to... to to treat it well, it's the temple of the Holy Ghost, but praise God, you're gonna get something better when Jesus comes again, amen? I'm glad, because I'm already learning that uh, I can't quite eat all five courses every meal when we're at the all-inclusive resort, because I do gain weight. So your soul, that's your mind, your will, your emotions, I believe it kind of extends past that, I've explained that it's also your thought life, Your attitude, your overall outlook on life, your hopes, your ambitions, desires, plans, even your personality. Your personality is part of your soul and also your imagination. So in the past three sessions, I'll just give a quick summation. The first session I talked about how thankfulness directs your imagination, Thankfulness will actually direct your soul. It's actually what causes you. That's the best way to keep your heart, to guard your heart, to to, to really direct your imagination. In Romans 1, verse 20 and 21, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. So this is saying that, that God has made himself known, that he, he is a creator. If you see something that has been created, that he is behind it. If there's beauty, if there's order, if there's thought, if there, there, there's, there, there's intelligence behind it, amen? So God has made it plain that he exists, that he's a creator. And it said, although they knew God, they did not glorify him, nor were thankful. So this is, I find this progression kind of interesting. It says, nor were thankful, and they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So when you you aren't thankful for what God has done, it affects your soul. It affects your imagination. It says that their thoughts became futile, and their hearts were darkened. Your thankfulness directs your imagination. Amen? So if you're unthankful, your imagination is actually going to work in the way the enemy wants it to work. Your your imagination is gonna be destructive, it's not gonna be divine, it's not gonna be productive, creative, um, flowing with what he wishes. It's gonna go in the wrong direction. That's what Paul is writing about here in Romans 1, 20, and 21. So we talked um, the following week about how the blood of Jesus purges your conscience. So salvation, what Jesus did with his blood, it affects your soul, it affects your conscience. Your conscience is part of your soul. Hebrews 9, 14 says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse or purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So salvation, it affects your soul, it affects your heart, it affects your conscience, it affects even your imagination, even your memories, even even people who've been through some rough patches in life, hurt, grief, pains. The the blood of Jesus actually purges it, cleanses it, it washes that part of your soul and brings new life there. God God brings beauty to those ashes that are in your heart. Isn't that awesome? And the the following week, we talked about rehearsing the victory. I, I shared from the story about Joshua and Moses when Joshua had to first fight the Amalekites. This is in Exodus 17. This is the first time Joshua is mentioned in Scripture. Moses told him to assemble an army, to lead the army in that first battle after they crossed the Red Sea. They had to fight the Amalekites. When Moses would raise the the rod of God, they would prevail. But if he let it down, the Amalekites would take them over. So he kept his arms up till till he couldn't do it no longer. Then Aaron and Hur came and helped him hold it up. But Joshua won that battle. And and God spoke to Moses in Exodus 17, 14, and said, Write this for a memorial in a book. And rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So so God told Moses every time that Joshua is going to face a battle, he needs to rehearse this victory. He needs to imagine this victory, to play it back. And before he goes out to the next battle, he needs to, in his imagination, rehearse that victory. This is the really cool thing about, about our victory in Christ Jesus. You know, they, they got this revelation here in Exodus 17 that, that God, that Yahweh, Jehovah is our victory. He is Jehovah, Nisi the Lord, our banner. So because Jesus has, made that, made, has become victorious, we can be victorious as well. So we can rehearse the victory through him. So, even if you haven't personally won that battle yet, you can think about Jesus fighting that battle and rehearse that victory. How would Jesus overcome this? Because Jesus has overcome this, I can overcome this. Now, just the other day, Heather's a big Tennessee Volunteers fan, football fan. I don't know how many of you follow college football, but, but Tennessee played their, their longtime rival, uh, Alabama. <laughs> And Tennessee hasn't beaten Alabama in a very long time. It's been 15 years, so I don't think they can even rehearse that previous victory. <laughs> I don't know if like recording equipment existed back then when they last beat Alabama. It's been quite a while, but it was a very close game. It was neck and neck the whole time. And it came down to the final two seconds. Both teams were tied 49 to 49. And um, Tennessee kicked the, the winning field goal. They, they won 52 to 49. Now, I guarantee that when they're playing the next teams later on this season, they're going to rehearse that victory. Because that was their biggest victory. You know, the, the entire, I, I think that the stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee, it's the biggest college stadium. One of the top, I think it fits like 100,000 people. Anyways, like all 100,000 people swarmed the field, ripped down the, the, the field goal, were like, you know, the, they were crowd surfing the, the field goal post, and um, it was pretty wild. Man, that, every, every victory, Jesus, that, that's how every victory is with Him. It's just a complete wild celebration. He, he has the complete victory. The Bible says that He actually parades us around in His victory march. So rehearse the victory. Tonight I want to talk a little bit about dreaming, what it's to be like those who dream. I love this phrase. It's found in Psalm 126. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 126. What is it like to dream? So Psalm 126. I love, I love these um, Song of Ascents. The Song of Ascents were actually sung as people um, were on the steps of the temple, going into the temple to worship God. They actually prepare themselves for worship by, by singing, by praising God. So these were actually songs to prepare them to, to enter God's presence. One thing that the worship team does every Sunday morning now is um, 10 minutes before service, we actually get together behind behind the stage, and we worship together as a team. Before we come out on stage and lead the congregation in worship, we we want to already be there. We're singing songs of ascents to to prepare ourselves, to anoint ourselves with God's presence, with with his holy oil, and come out here and just be ready to go right from the very get-go. Amen. So this is a song of ascent. This is to prepare people to go into the temple. Psalm 126, starting in verse 1, it says, When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion... So this is like when Tennessee finally beat Alabama. It was like the captivity being brought back. They had been held captives by Alabama for a long time. You know, um, Alabama fans like to say Roll Tide. That's what they say when they win a game. And and, uh, I I even know in Tennessee, there's a lot of Alabama fans in Tennessee and people just go around saying Roll Tide. It's like their way of saying Shalom in the South. They say Roll Tide. (laughs) Not too many people were saying Roll Tide this past week. They're saying, go go Vols. When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Heather Heather is dreaming. She's she's buying all the the Tennessee gear. She's dreaming of winning the championship. She wants to have a prayer service the night before. (laughs) She thinks Tennessee's probably going to, you know, played Georgia's ranked number one. Aaron Skies is a big Georgia fan, so I asked Aaron if, if he would uh, lead us in a special prayer and worship service for Tennessee, you know, to, for them to win the championship. He said that's blasphemous. <laughs> he went and, you know, nailed his 99 theses on the, on the door the next day about how Georgia's the best team and they're going to destroy Tennessee. And, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongue was singing. I love this. There's some people laughing here tonight. Yeah. So these, these are actually some signs of those who dream. If you are like, like someone who dreams, if you are like a dreamer, you're gonna have your mouth filled with laughter. Your tongue will be filled with singing. And that's awesome. You know. Um, our son fisher he loves to sing he sings all the time he sings at the top of his lungs he sings in the shower sometimes ada is sleeping in the in the room next next to the bathroom and i i like fisher you need to you know dial it down a notch. sure but he he he's 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 a dreamer you know kids love to dream they love to laugh they love to sing this is how we should be as believers we are his children amen so sometimes we should, we should get in trouble for singing a little too loud. Maybe come to church and, and sing so loud and laugh so hard that someone asks you to, hey, maybe, could you just bring it down a tiny bit? I can't hear the speakers. I can't hear. I, I've, I've sat next to some of those people before. You know, my dad's one of those people. Sometimes I can hear him louder than the people from the stage because he, he's like one of those people who dream. And he laughs, and he sings, and, and I, I, love, I, love, I love services when just Holy Ghost laughter hits the place. The thing about dreamers, dreamers offend people. Sometimes laughing offends people, sometimes singing offends people. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but don't let people steal your dream, amen? Don't let them steal your joy, your laughter, your song. Jesus is, he's put that song in our heart, amen? And I love this, so so those who dream, they they are filled with laughter, they're filled with singing, and this is really cool. Then they said among the nations, so I believe this is talking about non-believing people. They looked at these people who are like those who dream, who've been brought back From their captivity, they're singing, they're laughing. Then then these non-believers took notice. And this is their testimony about them. The Lord. The Lord has done great things for them. There is something different about that guy who's laughing, who's full of joy. I can tell that that he serves a God. I know he's a believer. He just radiates with it. The Lord has done good things for him. You know, just just uh, a few months ago, um, one of my one of my favorite professors at Rice University passed away. He he's a, a very close mentor of mine. He was actually the conductor of the orchestra there, very famous conductor, and um, um, several of his his students who stayed with him throughout the past years wrote tributes to him. I, I wrote one, and. Um, like, I, I kind of reconnected with some of my old college friends, but there's one violinist who, who started talking to me who I reconnected with who I know is a very staunch atheist. And uh, he's a very, very um, high-level violinist. And um, I know that while we were in school, he was invited to an, a Sunday morning Easter service at a Baptist church in Houston. I know he was invited because he told me about it. He, he, he heard about this um, Christian professor at Rice University um, his name is James Tour. He's a very famous scientist, but he's a very outspoken Christian. He even puts um, like scriptures on the bottom of of his test. He's a science teacher, and um, um, he can't get fired, even though people don't like it that he's Christian. He brings in a lot of great, you know, Christian uh, speakers and 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 theologians onto campus, even though it's it's not their cup of tea there, but they can't fire him because they, they know his testimony. They know that the Lord has done great things for him. He's one of the most famous scientists in the world. You can look up uh, look him up on YouTube. His name is James Tour, T-O-U-R. He's a, a powerful testimony. But James Tour, um, every Sunday he invites rice students um, to come to church with him. He teaches a, a Sunday morning Bible class. Then they go to church, and then afterward his, his wife will cook um, for any, any rice student who wants to come to his house for lunch. So typically he has 30, 40 students show up, but on this particular Easter Sunday, he, he encouraged students to invite non-believers to come to church on Easter. So, so somehow, this um, you know, graduate student violinist heard about this and decided to, to try out church and um, went to lunch. I think there were 80 or 90 students there at, at his house for, for lunch. And I talked to, talked to this violinist, my friend, um, the following day, and he, he said that his heart He's still an atheist, but he, he said, there, there's, something, there's something that I don't know yet. He, admitted, he started opening the door up a little bit. But um, as we were talking, I think he kind of looked, you know, and, and sees that I'm not, you know, pursuing a, a career in music right now. And he just made the comment, I see that you're living your best life. So that, that reminds me of this, this testimony among the nations. The Lord has done great things, that there are pe- you might not even realize there might be people looking at you in your neighborhood at your work in your family that that might not always be voicing it but that we should be like those who dream those who, who laugh those who sing and, and then that God wants to make you an advertisement for his goodness he wants to make you an advertisement for how he treats his kids so when people look at you and they say you're living your best life the Lord has done great things for them and I love what it says in verse 3. This is exactly what happened when my friend said that. He said, You know, it looks like you're living your best life. And I thought about it, You know, I am living my best life. The Lord has done great things for me. So that's, that's really cool. The, the, the non believers told them, The Lord has done great things for y'all. Verse 3 The Lord has done great things for us. And we are glad. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. I love that. Dreamers continually sow. Dreamers continually sow. You're going to keep sowing because you are a dreamer and you dream of the harvest. You believe with all your heart that there will be a harvest. Even, even in times of mourning, even in times of weeping, even in times of difficulty, you're going to keep sowing because doubtless you are going to come back with rejoicing. Bring that harvest, bring those sheaves with you. Don't faint before your harvest. Too many people give up right before the end. Right before the end. They, they've seen, they've seen the, the sprout. The early rain caused a little sprout to come up, but too many people faint before the latter rain. That brings in the full harvest. Don't faint before your harvest. My dad and I were, were um, teaching for our television program earlier this week and we were sharing about Joseph. So I'm gonna talk about Joseph a little bit later. But he, my dad said this, he said, don't faint before your harvest. And as he's saying that, I thought of a story about another good friend of mine who's a very strong believer. Her and her husband are very strong believers. They've actually come visited me here. They, they've actually visited this church. They're very um, staunch Calvinists. They, they have a baby, they, they told me they wanna name their, their um, first boy Calvin. They don't have a boy yet, they have two girls, so I'm still praying for them. But um, my my friend, she's a professional flutist, she she actually, um, while we, right after she finished her master's degree, she got a job, um, a one-year position in the Houston Symphony. They gave this position to her for, for one year, and after, towards the end of that year, they held an official audition for that position and several hundred people tried out for that position. She had to try out herself, even though she had been you know, there in a temporary role. And it came down to, to her and one other person. So, so this was a, a major deal to, to win this job. Um, I, I've heard of people who've done statistics on what it's like to get a professional, full-time paid symphony job, and it's actually easier to do that than to get a job in the NFL playing football. So she was, it was her and this other person, and um, after, after a few more weeks of trials, they ended up giving the job to the other person. So she, I know, I know she would worked hard. She would really, really believed, really wanted that certain position and, and could have given up, but she didn't give up. She kept sewing. She kept growing. She kept auditioning, and today she has a full-time, great-paying job in Atlanta, Georgia, and her, her and her husband really enjoy life. They're doing well. And, and just always keep sowing. Even in times of, of, of weeping, in times of difficulty, keep sowing because there will be a harvest. I love what Jesus said about the harvest. In John 4, verse 35, he said, the fields are already white for the harvest. He was telling his, his disciples, don't just sit back. He said, some of you say, well, in four months, there'll be a harvest. He said, the fields are already ripe for the harvest. Too many people just say, well, I'll just sit back and wait for that lad. I'll just wait for it to happen. You know, when one thing I know about farmers is even, even as, as they're in the off season between planting and harvest, they're working. There's always work to be done. Amen. He's saying there is, there is always work to be done. The fields are already, wait for the harvest. Don't wait just four months. Go for it right now. Take action. God-given dreams, divine dreams won't cause you to be passive. It actually causes you to be active. Jesus was saying, take action. A true God-given dream will be followed with the opportunity to take action. That's really good. I'm excited about some of the things I'm gonna be telling you tonight. I've even like quoted myself. Someday when I'm famous, I'm gonna like, make memes with my own quotes. <laughs> this is a good one. If you wanna go ahead and you know, write down some of these great Aaron Purdue quotes, write, write this one down. I just wanna give you a little practical tidbit about dreams. I'm talking about God-given, truly God-given divine dreams that are, that, that are coming from the divine imagination. I'm not just talking about whatever random thing passed through your mind last night after you had pizza with too many mushrooms on it. (laughs) So sometimes, this this isn't y'all because you guys are the very, very mature, spiritually discerning believers who can discern if this dream is God or not. So this is a great quote. Too many people are dream Calvinists thinking that every dream they have is from God. Calvinists believe that everything that happens is from God. In in charismatic circles, sometimes people think whatever they dream, it has to be from God. But that's not the case. You you should should be able to discern if if this is just something random or if it's from God. A couple weeks ago, I I had a random dream at night that that someone that I know passed away. And I I didn't get up the next morning and call them and and try to freak them out saying, you better watch out, because I had a dream that you died. And I didn't call all their loved ones and say, watch out. You know, buy buy a security system, you know, do, get, because I I could discern in my heart that that wasn't from God. It was just something random that that happened to pass through my subconscious as I was sleeping, but I I could, with my spirit, I could discern that that was not from God, and I need to call this person and freak them out. Does that make sense? This is also really great advice about dreams. So, so I, I, love, I love dreamers, I love visionaries. I love people who, who have a divine dream, a divine vision, a divine purpose. And, and they're, I love people who are great about communicating that and rallying, rallying troops behind them to, to pursue that divine dream. But this is really important for everyone to, to catch tonight. With divine dreams, there, will, there needs to be divine wisdom. If you're going to go follow someone who, who is a great dreamer, a great visionary, maybe a great leader, a great community, they need to have divine wisdom as well and, and be surrounded by people who, who have divine wisdom, who can impart good counsel into them. If people are just very, very spiritual, very prophetic, very, very into dreams and, and don't have any practical wisdom or, or other people with wisdom and, and some sense around them as counsel, it's very dangerous to follow a dreamer who doesn't have an equal measure of wisdom. Divine, divine dreams and divine wisdom, it, it works together. Amen. Without, without that wisdom in, in equal measure, you, you, can be, you can get into a very dangerous position. You know, my, my dad is a dreamer. He's a visionary. He's, he's, he's a builder. He... he, he he stretches my imagination. And, and when he asked me to come serve here as, as an associate pastor, I, I, I prayed about it for three months. I know he's a great dreamer, a great visionary, a great, a great leader. But, but if, if he is only those things and doesn't have any practical know-how and how to make it happen, it'd be very dangerous for me to just give up my life and follow him and try to help him when there's no track record of success along that dream path. Does that make sense? This, this could help you a lot relationally, this can help you a lot in business, this can help you a lot spiritually as well. This is, this is, this is really good and I'm gonna give you some practical examples from the Bible about this. But before you buy into someone else's dream, you need to ask yourself, are they also a person of wisdom? Divine dreams and divine wisdom go hand in hand. Amen. Let's turn to Joel 2. Let's go to Joel 2 and start in verse 21. We need to be like those who dream. And also, like I said, this is my next point here. Don't faint before the harvest. Don't faint before your harvest. Keep on dreaming. Keep sowing. There will be a harvest. Joel 2, verse 21, it says, Fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. I love that. I love that testimony that we share from Psalm 126, that the, even the, the Gentile nation said, Look, the Lord has done great things, and then we realize, yes, the Lord has done great, the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid, you beasts of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Be glad, then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully. So that's talking about the early rain, the the early rain, that's what gets the seed up out of the ground. If you're trying to get something to sprout out of the ground, there needs to be moisture. You know, I, 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 I've been getting into gardening late, lately. I, I still have flowers blooming right now. But I like to get stuff. Colorado has a shorter growing season, so I try to plant things that I know are going to spring up early. So right now in the fall, there, there are certain bulbs you can plant. I, I'm planting tulip bulbs now and daffodil bulbs. I especially love daffodils. Because if you, pl- if you plant the bulbs in the fall, in the springtime, when we get moisture, we usually don't get an early rain. We usually get an early, it still keeps snowing. But last year, this time, I planted like 100 daffodil bulbs. And um, in May, like around the middle of May, it snowed, I think, 10 inches. But, but while some people were, were weeping, I was rejoicing because I knew that moisture was going to cause those, those daffodils to spring up, and it did. And the thing about daffodils, they, they, can, they can come up and it can snow on them. They'll, they'll like freeze, so you can like break them off. But as soon as the snow melts away, they, they, they just go back to normal and, and blow around in the wind, and they're fine. It's a beautiful flower for Colorado, so you can start growing things even while it's still snowing. So he's saying you, you've seen that former rain, that early rain. You've seen, you've seen the, the first fruits. You start, you've started to see, see things. peak up a little bit the initial blades of grass popping up. He says, God has been very faithful with that, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. A lot of people are just, just stop with the, the, the early rain. But you need to keep believing God, keep trusting him. Don't give up until that latter rain comes in. When the latter rain comes in, that's what causes the full harvest to bloom out, Amen. He will cause that latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. I love that. Let's get to verse 28 here. Keep dreaming of the harvest. Don't faint before your harvest. Verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy your old men shall dream dreams. You're never too, you can keep dreaming and dreaming even into your old age. Your imagination, your, your, your dreams, your soul should not go stale. You should not go into retirement mode. Keep imagining, keep dreaming the dreams of God. Your old men shall dream dreams. your young men shall see visions. I love that. You know, my dad, as, as he's, you know, he's a dreamer, he's a visionary, as he gets older, he keeps dreaming bigger and bigger and bigger. I remember when, when he wanted to buy this, actually I think we just bought, bought it already. It was too late to go back. We bought this place and, and, and we came into this, this room right here. And at the time, it was a, this room was a warehouse, a very big warehouse, the, the walls actually went to that post right there by the screen. So we actually pushed the wall out further. So before we even pushed the wall out, this, this was a warehouse, it was full of, of rack. Now Tanya helped disassemble lots of racks. She probably put in like 300 hours of sweat and her and some other volunteers dissembling all these racks. But my dad put a desk right here where the stage would be. And he wanted to have a desk right here because he wanted to know right where the pulpit would be, right, where the word of God would be preached from. And I remember, when, he, when he, it was just me in this building for a little bit, I, I came and I stood up on that desk. As I looked out at this room, I, I, my dad was a better dreamer than me. I got a little nervous. I was thinking, man, this, this better work out. This is a pretty big place. And we, we're still going to push that wall out even further. <laughs> Your old men will dream dreams. Amen. Your young men shall see visions, and on my men's sermons and on my maid's sermons, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I believe that we are in the time of the latter rain right now. Do not faint before the harvest. This is, this is, this is the best time to be alive on the earth. Jesus saves the best for last. The latter rain is greater than the former. The former rain is exciting. It's it's exciting to start seeing the first fruits, but it gets better and better with Jesus. Amen. Keep dreaming, keep keep following him, keep pursuing his word, his promises. Verse 3 says, I will show wonders in the heavens and in in the earth. Now is the time that God is going to be showing off. We serve a God of wonder blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. We are in a time of wonder, a time of signs, Miracles. We we can believe God. We can see great salvations, great deliverance. We are in the time of the latter rain, so don't give up. Don't faint before your harvest. Amen. Amen. Alright, before I close, I want I want to convey one last point to you about dream killers. As my dad and I were where I'm sharing on Joseph, I don't have time to go through our entire you know, weeks of we we shared four 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 days' worth of teaching on Joseph, so I'm going to try to do it in 10 minutes here. It's hard to take what Pastor Lawson and Pastor Aaron shared for four days of television and convey it in 10 minutes, but I'm going to do it. I I imagine that I can do it. It's a divine imagination. We'll see if it comes to pass. The number one dream killer. My dad was talking about dream killers, and I thought about it more and more about, about Joseph. Um. Joseph was an incredible dreamer, incredible dreamer, an amazing story of redemption, amazing story of God's divine destiny. But I believe the biggest testimony from his life story is that he never got bitter. He had so many times to get bitter to let his dream die, but his dream never died. Joseph was a great dreamer. He was also a man of incredible wisdom. And the two, just like I said, you need to have both. For those dreams to come to pass, you need to have divine dreams, but also divine wisdom. So he had many, many, many opportunities to get bitter at his brother's, at Potiphar's wife, at the butler, but he didn't get bitter. Let's go to Genesis 37. Genesis 37. So Joseph, he had his very first dream. I don't think this is his only dream, or the only two dreams he had. I believe he, he dreamt all the time, and that's what gave him faith and hope to keep believing God, to keep trusting God, even in the midst of difficulty. Genesis 37, verse 5, said, Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, Then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. I love that we've been talking about some of these verses about gathering our sheaves. See, this dream of harvest. What a beautiful dream of harvest. His brothers were there, part of this harvest, a part of God's plan for for the world. And it said that their sheaves bowed down to his. Verse 8, his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So I told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. So that, that hatred that his brothers had toward him, toward him it was a result of envy. My dad kind of brought that out this past Sunday, speaking about the grace life and just people who, who God has just really blessed, given it who are just really living in the blessing, really living in that grace. And people get upset at them. It's not because they're mad at them. It's because they're upset at themselves, and it's a, it's a result of envy. That's what happened with these brothers here. They were envious. So they're out taking care of the flock in Shechem. Um, the father sent Joseph to go check on his brothers, and as he was approaching, they said, here comes the dreamer. He was known as a dreamer, and they said, well, why don't we kill him? and see what happens to his dreams. Some nice brothers there. So they end up throwing him in a pit. Think about killing him, but they end up selling him off to the Ishmaelites. They sell him off as a slave to the Ishmaelites. Joseph, this was his first opportunity to get really bitter if he wanted to. He could have gotten very bitter, very jaded, just let that just seep into his soul. I'm sure he was tempted to do so, but I know, I know he didn't give into that. I believe he kept dreaming. I believe, I believe he kept his heart right before God. That was his first opportunity to get really bitter. Later on, he was sold into to Potiphar's house. And, and while he was working for Potiphar, he, he was blessed. He was still dreaming. He still trusted God. God was bringing him promotion. He was put over the entire household. It says in Scripture that Potiphar trusted Joseph so much that he didn't even know what was going on in his own house. Man, what, 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 what a level of trust. For, for his boss not to even care, not to even want to know what, what's going on. I don't need to know. I just trust you completely. And, and while he was in this great posi- position of authority, this great posi- position of trust, Potiphar's wife started looking at Joseph cross-eyed a little bit. And she was really longing after him, lusting after him, kept talking to Joseph, and Joseph would just keep shutting her down day after day, but, but Potiphar's wife finally got her chance. It was just her and Joseph in the house alone. And she said, now, Joseph, you have to lie with me right now. She tried to rip off his clothes. And he just ran off, stark naked, because he, he wasn't, he said, I'm not going to sin against God, I'm not going to sin against Potiphar, and just took off running. Sometimes you just need to take off and run away from certain people. So that's what Joseph did. He just ran away, and Potiphar's wife accused him of, of, of raping her, of, of, of having an affair with her, and he was thrown into prison. This is another great opportunity for Joseph to get really offended. While, while he's in prison, wrongfully accused, he could have just gotten completely bitter, could just said, he, he could have just completely identified it as a victim and just said, I'm just gonna stay in here and rot and there's no point to my life. But he, I know that didn't happen. I know he didn't take that chance to be bitter and offended, even though it was very easy for him to do so. So while he's in prison, God, again, again blesses him. He, he's even prosperous, even while he's in the midst of that prison. And, and he's put over the entire prison. I don't know how this works. Usually prison guards don't appoint a prisoner to run the prison, but Joseph was appointed to run the prison. While he's appointed to run the prison, people, people, people were happy in that prison, so much so that when, when the butler and the baker looked a little sad, he was wondering, what's wrong? Usually in a prison, if you see people all sad, you think, that's right, you're in prison, you should be sad, you should. Joseph was so blessed. He was like one of those people who drain, He's probably laughing, singing, Is probably contagious. Even the, the butler and the baker were normally laughing and singing and saying, look at what God has done for Joseph. But even though he's been mistreated, he's the leader of this prison and we love him. But one day, the butler and the baker were very sad and Joseph said, well, why are you sad, what's wrong? So they tell him their dreams, and and he tells the butler, well, hey, your dream is a good dream. It means that you're gonna be restored to your position. The baker said, well, I had a dream too. Tells him his dream, and Joseph said, well, your dream actually means that you're gonna be killed in three days. So be careful about who you tell your dreams to. (laughs) And uh, Joseph tells the butler, hey, when you go back to work for Pharaoh, remember me. I'm a good guy. I'm a nice guy. You're happy around me. I was wrongfully accused. I shouldn't be here. So you're, you're, you're actually putting a good word for me when you go see Pharaoh again. So he goes back and works for Pharaoh. And what happens? He forgets. And Joseph, it says he, he was waiting for two years. He's probably wondering, man, why is it taking two years for the butler to put in a good word for me? So this is another opportunity for, for Joseph to get really bitter. But I know he didn't. So what happens after two years? Pharaoh then has a dream. He has two dreams. Let's, let's go look at these dreams that he had. So let's skip to Genesis 41. And we'll just start here in verse 25. So Joseph starts explaining the dreams to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh had these dreams that, that there were seven fat cows that came out of the water and then seven skinny came, cows came up after them and devoured the seven fat cows. My dad, when we were talking about this on television, he, he had specific, you know, breeds of cattle that he believed were more fat and, and better looking. He thought black Angus would be the fat, fat ones. And then like these seven, you know, longhorn, Texas longhorn cattle that are really skinny and came up after him. He'd always try to avoid, uh, uh, avoid buying Texas Longhorns. There were two breeds he, he avoided buying. My dad didn't really stick with purebreds, he just kind of got whatever was cheapest at auction. I'd go with him to the auction house in La Lahuna, Colorado, and he would try to find the ugliest cows to buy, because usually those, you know, when you sell them as fat cattle, it doesn't matter how pretty they are, you just sell them per, per the pound. So he wanted, he wanted to get cows that he knew would fatten up Really good. So he didn't think that Texas Longhorns would really fatten up that well. And also, uh, Brahma. He always wanted to avoid Brahma because they, their temperament is crazy. I know uh, one time we had, had this, this Brahma steer. Um, we were trying to brand it, and it like broke through the chute and ran through the crowd, broke through the fence, and was running around all of Kit Carson. And my dad um, just ran and got my mom's car and chased after it and, and eventually caught up to it and ran into it. And I think it broke its leg and um, he, he, he fixed it himself. He, he made a makeshift cast for it, I believe, and uh, took care of it, but eventually it got fat, and we sold it off, and um, um, they, are, they are really, they, they, they need, a. it's like some of those demons, they, they asked to get cast into the pigs, I think they get asked to get cast into those Brahma cattle. They, they are crazy. So if you're gonna go into the cattle industry, avoid longhorn cattle, and avoid Brahma. Then you get some herefords. That's what the Jews in Israel are doing. They're getting those full-bred, full red-headed heifer, herefords. Anyways, so the seven skinny, and then there were seven fat ears of corn, and then the seven blighted, ugly ears of corn came up and devoured the the seven good ones. And Joseph explained this dream to him and said that there, there will be seven good years in the land of Egypt, but there will be seven years of famine that are going to completely deplete the land. Verse 31 In Genesis 41, verse 31, he says, So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So along with this dream and this interpretation, um, Joseph also had wisdom. Again, with great, with divine dreams, there need to be divine wisdom. Verse 33, it says, Now therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and to store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh. And let them keep food in the cities." Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that that land may not perish during the famine. Now, Pharaoh, when he heard this, and when he was seeing Joseph speak, verse 39 says, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. Pharaoh could could understand that there was... Just supernatural, divine wisdom and discernment in Joseph. Joseph was not just a dreamer, but he also had divine wisdom. So he said, you, you, I want you to be over my house, verse 40, and over my all my people. They shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his his ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. So that that initial robe of many colors that was stripped away from him. Now God is bringing complete redemption. Now Pharaoh is giving him this robe of authority, this robe of position, this robe of power. This robe that that shows that his dream is coming to pass. God is bringing redemption to, to his position but also God brings redemption to, to Joseph and his father to Joseph and his brothers and I love the end of this story here let's let's look at it here in verse um, Genesis 45 verse 5 Genesis 45 verse 5 so his brothers come from Israel to Egypt to look for food they they, they meet Joseph because he's in charge of of the, the reserves of grain, they don't recognize Joseph. They don't recognize him. And um, when he reveals himself to him, they probably thought they, their goose was cooked, that he's going to kill us. You know, this is, this is what we deserve. But um, Genesis 45, verse 3, let's read what Joseph says to his brothers. Genesis 45, verse 3. Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? His brothers did not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence that's probably an understatement. You know, if, if you have a little tiff with your brothers and you know that they can beat you, dismay is, is you know, not the, that's kind of an understatement there. I remember when I would get in fights with my brothers, sometimes I would have to run for my life. I was the smallest of the three, but I I, I could run further and faster, so... Verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land. There are still five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Bitterness is the number one dream killer. bitter I know that Joseph, he had many opportunities to become bitter, to let that bitterness to kill his dreams. I believe that bitterness would also kill his wisdom. I see when people start getting bitter, they, they, they don't, they kind of lose their sense of wisdom. Bitterness will lead to foolish actions. Bitterness will cause you to act stupid, to say stupid things, to make a fool of yourself. This is really good. This is kind of coming back full circle. Joseph was very thankful, right? Bitterness would have killed his dreams. Bitterness would have killed his his wisdom. But he was an extremely thankful person, I believe that when when he was in that first pit, when his brothers were threatening to kill him, being sold into slavery, he he somehow found it in himself to be thankful. I don't know what he was thankful for, but he found something to be thankful for. I'm going to ask him someday, hey, Joseph, what were you thankful for? This is is an incredible testimony that he did not become bitter. When Potiphar's wife accused him of rape, accused him of of these things, and he's thrown into prison, what were you thankful for? He found something to be thankful for. When when you were in prison and the butler forgot about you, you were just sitting there for another two years. How did you find it in yourself to be thankful? Keep being thankful, that directs your imagination, that directs your dreams, it keeps your dreams alive, it keeps your wisdom alive. Thankfulness will cause you to be wise beyond your years. So now in this time of the latter rain, it's time for harvest. Amen. So keep dreaming, keep sowing, keep reaping, keep laughing, keep singing, keep rejoicing, keep being thankful. God is always good, and Jesus is coming again very soon. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Caris Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.